Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. Ligue 1, that's another story. Read the front page of Monday's L'Equipe as Paris Saint-Germain were comfortably beaten by Nico Kovac's Monaco at the Parc des Princes, a matter of days after embarrassing Barcelona in their own backyard, which begs the question, just how many goals would Kevin Volland, Wissam Ben Yedder, or free-scoring centre-back Guillermo Maripan have put past Messi, Piquet et al? As a result, Lille now find themselves firmly in the driver's seat of the Ligue 1 title race after a comprehensive win over Lorient that sees them move three points clear ahead of a daunting Europa League reversal against Ajax coming up this week. Meanwhile, Rudy Garcia's Lyon recover in their title surge thanks to victory over Brest in a match which the opposition seemed to do everything they could to lose. We'll be discussing all of the above uh, while bringing back our spotlight section this week on Lorient's free-scoring Nigerian striker Terem Moffi. Uh, who has been scoring for fun in 2021 uh, in his attempt to take the team out of the relegation zone. I'm your host, Jake Smales, and today I'm joined by a returning Eric Devin. Hey, Eric, good to have you back. Yes, good to be back as well, yes. Great stuff. Uh, and I'm also joined again by Kale Stockwell. Hey, Kale, how's it going? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, as always. Let's jump right into Sunday night's match at the Parc des Princes, where PSG hosted Monaco. Paris Saint-Germain were on a five, straight, uh, five straight wins in all competition going into this one, and were fresh off the back of cruising to a 4-1 win over Barcelona in the Champions League, uh, a performance which has garnered them a huge amount of praise, um, and rightly so. Monaco, meanwhile, were unbeaten in 2021 and had won all of their games bar a two-all draw with Lorient the previous weekend. Those paying extra attention to PSG after their hugely impressive performance at, the, at Camp Nou would have been left bemused, uh, perhaps, as Monaco won the match 2-0 in relatively comfortable fashion. Uh, Kale, AS Monaco became the first side in Ligue 1 to beat PSG twice in a year. Uh, since AS Nancy in 2011-12, uh, obviously the year that uh, the QSI takeover took place. How impressed were you with this performance from Niko Kovac's side? I was super impressed, really, really impressed. I think, you know, one of the reasons is this was a very different looking, not only formation, but approach from Monaco than we've seen um, sort of certainly recently this season. And I just think the a, I think we like. I just want to point out the work rate from everyone in that Monaco side was just tremendous. This wouldn't have been possible if Kovac wasn't able to get everyone to buy into this idea of defending, defending hard, pressing really aggressively through the midfield and on the wings. And he did that, and Monaco, because of it, looked at the better side throughout. I thought tactically, Kovac's uh, game plan was brilliant it was kind of like the opposite of what Barcelona did uh, midweek you know they really focused a lot on limiting the effectiveness of PSG's width especially going obviously going to that uh, back five when they were in the low block but then he was bold as well they came out in the second half with a slightly different defensive approach put up a different looking medium block that I thought was even more effective against what we saw from PSG early on I uh, thought Pochettino was slow to react and Kovac really won the day. And, 
yeah, Monaco were stellar. That's one of their best, if not their best performance of the season for me. Um, there were a lot of standout performers in, in that match. I mean, Kovac obviously will take the plaudits for the tactical setup of the team, but, you know, the likes of Benoit Badiashil, I know you're a big fan of his, Kale. Um, Maripan, I kind of alluded to at the top of the show, scoring his fifth goal of 2021. Um, Chuameni was immense in midfield, I thought. Um, and, of course, Aguilar as well, Ruben Aguilar at right back, who uh, who seemed to boss the game and, and certainly made life difficult for... Uh, Kylian Mbappe after what was a pretty easy ride uh, on that flank in the at camp now and uh, earlier in the week. Uh, Eric, for you, who was the uh, who was the standout performer uh, for Monaco? Yeah, I, I I would probably have to say Aguilar. I mean, you know, he's he's someone especially who had been out of the team uh, the last month. They had been using you know whether it was Krepin Diata at wing back when they were playing three at the back or whether it was. It was City Bay when they were playing four at the back. Uh, he he had sort of been persona non grata, which is especially surprising. I mean, this is someone who had been called up to uh, to France to the French national team for the first time in his career, who had been a consistently strong player. Um, so to see him being dropped with some regularity uh, was a little bit surprising. But it, it appears that you know, in addition to having his tactics be sound, uh, Kovac is an excellent man manager as well. And I think that you know perhaps that you know, stick-carrot relationship uh, was in full evidence there in terms of how that was able to give uh, a level of motivation to uh, Aguilar for this match. Um, we've kind of hummed and hard uh, at various points so far this season about kind of just how far this Monaco side can go in the league this season. It's obviously a clean sheet at the Parc des Princes, which is hugely impressive. And I read a stat saying that they've now, uh, that only Manchester City have scored more goals than the Monaco uh, in Europe's top five leagues in 2021. That's 26 goals for Monaco, 29 for Manchester City. Eric, do you think it's time that we start to consider that maybe Monaco are in the the conversation for the title? I mean, based on kind of the, the form of the teams around them, with the exception, I guess, of of Lille, who are, who are continuing to look pretty imperious. But do they have an outside chance here? Or, or have we kind of been fair with our kind of evaluations of the potential of this team in, you know, as a side, kind of aiming at the, at the upper end of things to qualify for the Champions League at best? Uh, you know, as much as I'd like to say this is them turning a page, and it is a different kind of result, I think we, we can talk about how Monaco have done well to outscore their opponents by and large. They haven't really shackled an opponent. It's it's always been okay. We you know we can score more than you, and that's enough. Um, I still think that, pardon me, the success that Kovac has has got out of this team is by putting his faith in young players. You know whether that's Badia Shile, Sofian Diop, the midfield pairing of Chalmeni and uh, Yusuf Afana. They've they've all been uniformly they were all uniformly excellent yesterday um but they are still young players you know that for um you know i don't think any of them is older than 22 uh but is still 19 for example um and i think that 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 means that you know there are still going to be some wrecks there are still going to be some mistakes um you know look back at that when monaco had against neen uh, when golovin had that fantastic match the other week uh you know they needed all four of those goals to beat a team who, you know, admittedly have looked looked good since um, replacing General Arpignon, but are still, you know, no great shakes. But 
Uh, they also needed a last-minute goal from Wissam Ben Yedder against against Lorient through the weekend. So, you know, I still think that you know it 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 says a lot uh, about Nico Kovac's managerial nous and the development of these young players for Monaco to be able to get themselves up and play well. You know, in a big match at the Parc de France, that's an occasion that it's easy to get oneself up for, relatively speaking. But I think that you know. We haven't necessarily seen the ruthlessness and defensive solidity against all opponents um, from Monaco quite yet. Um, and I, I think I'd like to see, you know, it's funny. I was looking at the next few matches for these teams. Obviously, Leon, for example, have Marseille at the weekend. Um, um, and it, it does seem that Monaco have the easiest um you know, next stretch of matches for the international break. Um, and, you know, okay, does that mean that this is, you know, this is a, a chance for them to to well and truly launch themselves into that top four? Or does that mean there are more banana skins um, that await them? Um, they did because, you know, again, they're now, I believe, 13 unbeaten in the league. Um but prior to that, there there had been some pretty iffy runs uh, in December, for example, uh, and I still, just given how how young this team is, I still I still want a little bit more consistency on the defensive end before I can do it well and truly uh, call themselves title contenders. Call them title title contenders. In terms of the top three, well, they're only two points off off of PSG. Yeah, I, I think they're in the mix for that. Um, you know, given the fact that, say, Leon, for example, even even though Marseille have been stuttering of late, do have a tough match this weekend. Um, that's a rivalry, uh, you know, and it has been for for years. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there is a chance that Monaco can put can put themselves into that conversation. But again, um, you know, Kovac has urged caution and he he's urged restraint in terms of praising the team uh, throughout you know this 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 strong run throughout the season. Um, and I, I think he's right to do that. I think he recognizes that yes, these, that he is getting something special out of these players, but that they are still very young. Um, you know, and and you look at someone like Jop. I mean, this is his first season being season starter in Liga, and I know you had uh, Chamani and Fofana had had started with regularity at Strasbourg and Bordeaux before this, but um, yeah, this is still by and large a, a somewhat inexperienced team. Um, and I think that, you know, he's he's sort of ridden his luck in terms of the switches, some of the switches he's made, you know, dropping Axel de Sassi at one point, um, and he's been able to overcome the the, the losses of, of, for example, of Golovin and um, Justin Martins through injury. But, yeah, I, I think Kovac's caution is probably something I'm going to echo as well. I, and I'm not just saying that because he's the manager who knows his players. Um Again, it's a young side, and it's easy. It, it, it's tempting to see this see this as a as a real stepping point for Monaco, but I do think that there is something of uh, the one off occasion uh, in this match, and that that for them to be as tight at the back against say Strasbourg um, will require another level of play um, from the principality side. Yeah, they did did seem to get a lot right um, defensively in in this one when at times perhaps they haven't managed to do that uh, so far this season but I mean looking at, at PSG now who obviously did struggle against against um, defend in an attacking sense against Monaco in this match particularly in the fact that they only registered one 
shot on target again. Um, Kale, do we think this is another instance where they've struggled without kind of a creative force in, in midfield? You know, Verratti didn't start, neither did Rafinha. And we've talked about, you know, the, perhaps the need for one of these guys to, to be playing. Otherwise, PSG under Pochettino in particular seems to have looked a bit flat, kind of unable to, to break the lines. And, and that midfield of Gay Paredes, Herrera seems a little bit, a little bit negative, no? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was definitely a negative three in midfield. I mean, maybe he can be forgiven for for starting them, thinking that this Monaco side is obviously dangerous going forward. But I thought as the match went on, he waited just too long to make those changes in midfield. I thought when Rafinha did come on, he was pretty effective, made a lot of good runs and a lot of good forward passes, trying to break the lines. But I thought prior to that, there really wasn't much impetus um, from PSG. I think they struggled because, you know, Monaco packed the center of the pitch. They really wanted them to go towards the wings. And then once they were on the wing, Monaco had some really nice defensive rotations. You know, I want to give a shout out to De Sassi because he's been sitting out. He sat out a bunch of matches. He sort of lost his place to Maripan in uh, the back four. But he had a really good match and he had a really tough job trying to track Kylian Mbappe between the lines. You know, Aguilar did a lot of that work as well, but for a lot of the first half, it was sort of up to De Sassi to sort of close him down and uh, limit his space between the lines, especially when they're in the deep block. You know, we say a lot of the same things over and over about PSG and the league when they get into these situations, which is um, they're just not as effective on the flanks as they were uh, this time last year when they were under Tuchel. Their fullbacks cannot do the same sort of things, and so they struggle when they're out wide, and they don't break the lines in the center of the pitch as effectively when Neymar isn't playing, especially because they don't really have any other players that make those late runs into the box. I'm not sure how many times we've seen Gay really make those third-man runs from midfield, but it's very limited. Paredes is essentially a deep-lying playmaker, and that's exactly what he is. I personally think the hype around Paredes has been maybe a little bit too extreme. <laughs> I think he's a solid player, but I uh, think he's still got a lot to prove. Yeah, I, you know, the same sort of issues, and and I, I'm not sure we'll have to wait and see if Pochettino can fix them, but you know, the problems that they have now look like the problems that they had under Tuchel before the start of the new year, so... Um, do you feel so th- those kind of recurring problems were the problems in this match? Because P- Pochettino came out and kind of said that the team were not playing at the required level, which kind of, I guess, suggests maybe an element of fatigue after the match against Barcelona or an element of complacency. And, you know, we talked a bit there about, uh, well, we have talked about how good Monaco were tactically. and But, but was it was it just a case of, you know, these same problem areas, if you like, for PSG being problem areas again in this match? Or do you think Pochettino is alluding to something more, something like fatigue um, or complacency compared to how they were against Barcelona? Well, I mean, I think a a lot of it did have to do with Monaco's tactics. I don't want to take anything away from them. I thought they, Kovac figured figured out that PSG side really well midweek. And they applied their tactics perfectly and they worked hard and didn't give PSG any space. I think where you can be disappointed is that it took Pochettino so long to make any meaningful changes to the lineup in the middle of the match when it was so clear that they just weren't penetrating. Like they didn't, I don't think they had a single shot on target in the first half. 
And I think they, yeah, no, and then they managed one shot on target in the second half. So you know that you're not producing anything offensively. And yet we're still waiting until the 55th minute to see Verratti and uh, Rafinha. Like, he could easily have made changes at halftime. He knew what he was looking at. I think also then I would challenge this fact that, you know, you're playing, if you're seeing guys that are tired out there, why are you playing almost this identical lineup that you played in midweek against Barcelona? Why wouldn't you rotate more of those players if you think that guys are looking tired? So I think some of that is just convenience. I think that he got outmatched by Kovac tactically and issues of the issues. Like these aren't new problems for PSG. This wasn't a one-off thing with this team. These problems have existed since Pochettino arrived. And I would argue since even before that under Tuchel. Eric, that's now um, one point from a possible 12 for PSG against their rivals. Uh, so that's Monaco, uh, Lille and Lyon. Um, and also six defeats in a league on season. Uh, Kayla and I were remarking at the uh, just before recording. Um, and after 26 matches played, that is the worst record uh, for Paris Saint-Germain in the Qatari era. Um, I guess that kind of, taking the, the lens, if you like, away from PSG, but kind of in light of that, when can, when was Ligue 1 last this competitive? Because even to my mind, the, the 2016-17 season when, when Monaco won, you know, that still felt very much like, I know Nice challenged for, for large parts of early in the season, it felt, but that still felt like a two-horse race. When was, when was the league last this competitive? Um, I mean, I, my inclination is to say 2014-15. Um, that was the Bielsa season at, at, at Marseille, uh, and they were top for a, a large part of the season. Uh, then Leon were top until about this time. Uh, Lacazette unfortunately missed a month out with a back injury, um, and that saw them fall down the table, and PSG did eventually win. Um, you know, but to have four teams in the mix, you know, I... I'm not rightly sure. I mean, the 2017-18 season had a had a, a you know really exciting finish in terms of the Champions League, um, but and there have been some other seasons that have been similarly close in terms of the Champions League. Um, but in those campaigns, you did have a a clear winner when it came to uh, the title. So yeah, I, I think this is something we haven't seen in 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 quite some time, and it's it's something I think we can really revel in. It is indeed. I think we're all thrilled as huge fans of French football uh, that we are witnessing such a competitive season. You know, it is, it is a hugely entertaining title race. Um, on which note, I think we should move on to examine one of the other contenders, and that is Lyon, who headed west to Brest uh, at the weekend. Um, last time these two sides met, they drew two all in December in a very entertaining match. Um, but Brest's last victory over Lyon in the top flight was all the way back in 1991. That being said, Lyon have been on a somewhat shaky run by the very high standards they've set themselves uh, this season, having lost to Montpellier at home last time out. That being said, it's fair to say that life was made rather easy for Lyon, as three errors from Brest helped OL gain a 3-0 lead. Brest came out fighting in the second half, uh, but were only able to uh, partly atone for their mistakes with the match ending 3-2 to Leon. Um, Eric, this was a strange game. It really did feel like Brest gifted Leon the lead, for my money at least. Um, there were mistakes kind of all over the place, in particular from 
um, stand-in goalkeeper, Sebastian Cibois. Um, I don't know what it is with Brest goalkeepers and, at the moment, but I've, my mind goes back to that uh, Larsonneur era from a couple of months back when he kind of was having a few touches of the ball in his box and seemed to cannon it off off the post of his own net. But um, but yeah, so so mistakes from from Brest that certainly made Leon's life easier. All, all things considered, do you feel that Leon were kind of fortuitous here, or or did they deserve the win? Seymour also had some good saves that he did make. Um, I think I don't think I think that Leon deserved three points here. Um, you know. You can, there's the old saw, you can only beat what's in front of you. You have to take your chances when they come. Um, Leon did do that. And that, and this is, you know, no no small thing. I mean, I think that, you know, through that brilliant run that they'd had spanning the new year, I think that we looked at uh, the likes of Tino Cataware and Carl Toko Akambi as being in form and, and being uh, their good play was really, really what drove that run. And I think as as those two have sort of tailed off a little bit, um, you know, Awar and Depay are still playing well. Midfield still playing well. Uh, defense has still been decent enough, uh, even with the absence of Marcelo um, uh, on Friday. I, I think that I think that we've seen a little bit more of of Leon's, you know, true level, if that makes sense. Uh, that is to say, a team that is, uh, you know, good enough to be in the mix for the top for the, the top three for the champions league, but probably not quite talented enough to, to really be title contenders. They're just a little too flawed in terms of, uh, in terms of their finishing. Um, and this is, this has been a, this was the situation with the loss to Neem. This is our loss to Montpellier rather. Uh, it was a situation earlier in the season when, when they were really struggling to, to find goals. Um, this is a team that is going to blow hot and cold, um, but if you if you take the the mean of their results, they they're probably the third best team in France, um, and I, I think that's just you know where they you know where they are is probably where they should be uh, there thereabouts, um, and I, I think that yeah you know there's a reason why you know Carl Toko can be left to go to Villarreal, not Real Madrid, um, and there's a reason you know you know why Tino Cataweri has you know, been dropped to the bench on occasion in the last couple of matches. So I think that, I think that we have to look at, um, we have to look at the, you know, this team playing to its level and not, and, and just being, you know, perhaps just a, just a, a cut below, uh, as ruthless as Lille have been by and large. And, you know, even Lille themselves had that draw against press last weekend. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, um, a fair result and, and and their placement, you know, in the top three, but not an outright favorite for the title, uh, is probably a fair reflection. Uh, now that, uh, again, like I said, Toko Akambi and Katawari have come back to earth a little bit. Kale, do you um, do you agree agree with Eric on this one that maybe Leon have kind of found uh, their their kind of true level and and perhaps aren't going to be able to go the distance in this one compared to say Lille or you know PSG if they do find another level again uh yeah I think they've probably found their level um under Rudy Garcia (laughs) I think maybe a slightly better manager could get maybe a little bit more of them but we'll leave that for another time uh yeah I think they probably have but I think the benefit uh for Lyon this season is that I don't you know, I keep waiting for PSG to break out, but I just don't see it happening at this point. 
So if you can just stick around and keep doing what you're doing and keep collecting points by whatever means necessary, I think this season you have a real chance of winning. Like I said last week, I, I didn't think that uh, – I think that all four of these top teams have another week in them where they'll probably lose a match. So you just got to mm-hmm. stick around and, and, you know, be there at the end. And, and it's going to be exciting, I think. Eric, you kind of alluded – Can I – sorry, I, I just wanted to ask – Kale, you really do think that that Rudy Garcia could that someone else could get more out of this team, even with Awar wanting away, you know, Memphis being at the end of his contract. He's kept these players motivated. I think the, I think the players are playing to their level, but he's kept he's kept them motivated and focused. It's it's down to their the players' intrinsic lack of quality. I mean, he can't make you know Carl Toko Okambi's finishing. We knew that was a bugaboo, you know, going back to the Champions League. Um, and you know, Cataware, the same thing. I mean, he's a, he's a player who's blown hot and cold as well. You, you you think another manager with this same set of fifteen players, fifteen on players, could do better? I mean, I'll get too deep in it, but I really like this Lyon lineup. I think yeah, you know, they've got their hiccups, but I think there is a lot of talent on this team, and they should really be challenging at the top of the table. I think I think the difference. When I think about Lyon, I look at the team that's leading the league, like uh, Lille, which I think Lille has less talent like at a raw level than Lyon does. But I just think that Lille are a much better coach side. I just think they have a real clear sense of what they're supposed to do every match. And I think Lille can dominate games without the ball and with the ball. And everyone has a clear idea of what they're supposed to be doing. I do think sometimes I watch Lyon and I'm sort of like, I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. They can kind of all be doing separate things at once, and that's definitely in their locker. And I do think that Rudy Garcia, while he's often been a good man manager, he still lacks a lot of the structure that I think would benefit a team like this. You know, I think in this match against Brest is a good example. Like, Brest just kind of dominated when they fell like in the middle of the pitch in the final third, like if you look at all the touches and all the combinations, especially on rat, it was really easy for him to get in behind Mendez and to get between the lines for certain periods. And they got back into this match that really they should have had no business being in. And I just think a slightly more astute manager probably would be able to shut these games out. But, you know, that's been my opinion of Garcia from, from the get go. And I understand that you know people disagree. Sure, but you don't you don't want to give quality to to Dalio and what he's done with Brest. I mean, I, that that's kind of how I saw this match. That it was both teams having their say. Uh, Brest's defensive foibles were exposed, but also um, Brest's attacking ingenuity. I mean, Dalio, you know, has always to me been a manager who's at least attacking wise has been able to, you know do do far better with his resources than one might expect. And I think, that, to me, that's how this match played out. Um, that, you know, Leon missing a first-choice defender. I know Diamande's been brilliant, but Leon missing Marcelo and his experience uh, looked a little bit at sea, and, and, and that that sort of, you know, came home to, came home to roost for them. Um, like I said, I, I think that uh, in terms of outright quality, that, that Leon are, are just a... A little bit below. I, I are wow. Are Leon less talented than than Leo? I, I, you know, I, I think, I think if you went through that team position by position, um, 
I I don't know. I I, I think that I think that that's that's a that if if Leon are are playing to their best every single match, they're probably more talented than Leo. But in terms of consistency and experience and resilience and 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 having the right approach, match in and match out. Which again, part of that is down to the manager. Part of that's down to experience. I mean, a player like a Benjamin Andre, a player like a like a, a Jose Fonch, or, or you know, even why not a, a Mike Magnon? Um, I think that their experience and quality sh- tells. Um, and I, I think that uh, Leon, you know, simply simply don't don't have that by and large position by position um, you know i think uh jason denier is a, a fine defender um you know is he is is he as good all all told as, as sven Botman? i mean are is he being you know is jason denier being linked with a 50 million euro move away no um yeah i, I don't know i i, I Right. That's right. That's the point of this is opinions. Now, I, I, I disagree that, that Lila are less talented than Leon. I, I think that um, I think that Galtier is a fantastic manager. He's been the best manager in France over the past decade, uh, going back to his, his success with Saint-Étienne. But I, 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 yeah, I think I have to disagree with that notion. I think that, that Leon are a team that is, you know, I mean, this might sound cruel, but they're a bit of a cut rate set of superstars. Like, you know, they're they're all... And, and they rely on their individual brilliance, by and large, to win matches. But when that's not coming off, um, then then they do they do seem a little bit up up the creek without a paddle. Eric, you kind of th- that last point you make there, kind of about how Leon rely on individual bil- um, individual brilliance, I should say, and um, you know, perhaps as we said earlier on, the fact that they found their level. I mean. Is, for example, Olivier Delolio someone who could get more out of this Leon side and have them kind of matching the standards that Lille are setting this this season? Of course, he's a very different manager to Christophe Galtier, but he is someone who's been linked with the the Leon job lately. You know, do, do you feel a coach like Delolio would be able to perhaps get more, um, at least more kind of cohesively out of this Leon team than Garcia is able to, and and you know, get this side relying on more than just moments of individual brilliance? Would Olivier Telio do better with Leon than Rudy Garcia? Wow, that that, <laughs> that is a question. Big one. Um, uh, I I don't think I think it'd be very 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 harsh on Garcia to say that because I think that we do have to realize that he's been he's been needs must with this team, uh, getting them to a cup semifinal, getting into a cup final, getting into the Champions League semifinal, uh, getting into where they are right now. Um, you know, rehabilitating uh, a player like Thiago Mendes, um, you know, converting Maxwell Cornet by and large successfully to, to, to a left back when the team um, seemed to be at a, a bit of an impasse in that position with how, how poorly use of Kone had played and the departure of Marcel. Um, yeah, I, I don't, oh boy, I, I, no, I don't think so. I think it's fun to watch Olivier Delio teams. Um, but it's you know not dissimilar to say, you know, Neem under Bernard Blackheart when they first came up, and they were tremendously fun to watch. Um, but you know, are they going to be a really a successful team, or or say, how about uh, Bordeaux under Jean Louis Gasset? They're going to shut you down. It's the the inverse in terms of their proclivities versus attack versus defense. 
you know, a Jean-Louis Gasset team can by and large shut you down. Um, what are they going to have enough about them in a creative sense to, you know, to, to be more than, you know, upper mid table. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I mean, that's a, that's, yeah, it would be interesting to see how Deleo could do. Sure. But not with anything at stake, uh, you know, as speaking as a Leon fan here, um, <laughs> I, I would not want to hand the keys to, to Leon to Olivia Delelio. I'm sorry. You know, again, I, I think Garcia works for the time being. Um, you know, Galtier is someone who's been linked with the job. I, I would welcome that. I, I think that Galtier's body of work at this point um, is unbelievable. That he knows how to get a team organized defensively. I mean, his, his Sente teams were a little bit negative and over-reliant on, on playing on the counter, whether it was Gradel or Aubameyang at various points. Um, and his Lille sides are a different beast, but they're, they've both been successful. Um, but I think how this team moves forward... Um, you know, if we are assuming that um, both Depay and Awa are off in the summer, um, you know, even though even as Jean-Michel Olas insists that's not the case, um, I, I do think that um, it, it could be worth a rethink in the summer, depending on how this team uh, restructures itself. Uh, you know, with that Brazilian influence, you know, could they do with someone who has experience working in South America? Marcelo Gallardo. I don't know. Could that, you know, could that be an option, for example? Um, I, I, I think we just have to wait to see what, um, how, oh, this is a massive summer for Leon, and, and I, I hope that they do hold on to the top three and are back in the Champions League next year. Uh, that's been the club's stated ambition all season, and if they can maintain that, then I think we need to see what happens. And, and if Garcia gets them into the top three, you know, and, and he's kept Awar and, and Depay on side in, in a season which they very easily could not have been. Um, I think he deserves uh, an extension and deserves more of a chance at the job. Yeah, I, I do. I do have to say I completely agree, Eric. I mean, I was certainly kind of a naysayer when when Rudy Garcia was given the job. I thought, oh, not again. But you know, he has he has at least at times got a real tune out of this squad. Um, who, who you know, are one of the most talented squads in the league. And um, I think he does deserve um, a fair amount of credit if they do, you know, even maintain a kind of solid position in this title race going forward. And especially given the harmony he seems to have maintained despite, you know, Depay being on the verge of leaving in the summer, Awa arguably being on the verge of, of leaving in the summer. So, so we'll see. Um, we'll see how things how things go. But Marcelo Gallardo at, at, at Lyon, I have to say, that is an exciting uh, proposition indeed. Um, anyway, let's uh, move on to uh, the fourth and final team uh, in the mix for the title, uh, and that is of course Lille. Um, they needed a result uh, against Lorient on Sunday to return to the top of the table. Uh, that, however, isn't the most straightforward of tasks these days, as Lorient have been on a decent run, picking up 11 points from a possible 15 as they start to demonstrate their survival credentials. It had been a difficult week for Le Dog, uh, who, after a goalless draw with Brest, conceded two late goals to Ajax at home in the Europa League on Thursday night, leaving them with a significant uphill task to qualify in the return leg. But... That being said, Lille were able to put their Europa League woes to bed as they won this one 4-1. Kale, a pretty comprehensive scoreline. Was this a straightforward win for Lille? I mean, sometimes I think that all Lille wins are straightforward. They're like the most boring, (laughs) good team in the Liga that that 
you can watch. I just think, yeah, they know what they're doing. They went out. They just take the will away from you. Like you could see Lorient thought that maybe they were back in, in the match when they scored their first, when they scored, excuse me, their first goal to tie it up. And then Lille came back, they scored, I think just over 10 minutes later. And then they absolutely completely smothered the match. Like it, they just, they're just ruthless and they, they, they don't give you anything. They don't let you play the game that you want to play. They can possess the ball really easily at the back. And I thought this was, by far they're like not their best performance, especially offensively. I thought all those guys up front kind of weren't clicking in the way that we're used, that we're used to, you know, they had rotated their midfield. So, uh, you know, it was Shaka and Benjamin Andre. I think Benjamin Andre is an incredible player, probably one of the most underrated players in Liga, but, mm. uh, you know, they were missing, you know, their usual ball progressors, Sumare or, uh, Ronaldo Sanch, and they still got it done. You know, this is real. This is what they, this is what they do, and I don't think we should expect anything else from them going forward. You know, no, not at all. Getting the job done week in week out, it seems. Um, I, I, I think it is important to, in light of what you said there, Kale, to highlight that. Um, to my money, at least Lille's best players were were certainly not their attacking players in this one, despite the scoreline. Um, one man I thought stood out as well as Benjamin Andre, who who was making his three hundredth league on appearance what a, what a player he's been uh, in the French top flight but uh, the player who stood out to me was uh, Jose Font 37 years old um, and it's just another instance as we see so regularly in Ligue 1 of, of the Portuguese bossing the defense you know it was five I think he made five ball recoveries he scored with what was a what was a real striker's finish um, into the uh, bottom corner of the the net um, Eric just how good a season is is he having yeah, I think he's been fantastic. I think he's a player who he had had been a, a fantastic player in, in the Premier League at, in a variety of clubs. Um, but after sort of having you know shipped off to China, we I think we kind of thought we'd seen the back of him, despite him still uh, featuring for Portugal on occasion. Um, to want to come to Lille, uh, you know, a club in a top five league who you know were ambitious enough to get into Europe. Um, but who, you know, weren't at such a high level that he would have a hard time getting into the team, I think really shows, uh, you know, his, his competitive spirit and what he wants to achieve in his career, um, that he wants to end, you know, battling for something important rather than sort of, you know, you know, going to sleep on his check, as it were, um, by making the move to China. So, yeah, I, I think that, that shows the type of player he is. And it shows week in and week out on the pitch. I mean, the other thing we should mention is that, you know, for a player of his age, he's very rarely rested. Um, mm. You know, I'd be interested to look at minutes, by, minute by minute stats, but I believe he's played more than Botman um, this season, uh, at least in the league. Um, and I think that that's something that's, that's really impressive, that he he's willing to get stuck in week in and week out. Um, and to be an example on this pitch, you know, uh, you know, in the heart of what's been uh, a by and large a fairly young defense. I mean, you've got you know that that front that starting four is uh, Chelik, uh, uh, Ronaldo, and 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 Botman alongside him. I, I don't think any of them are are older than twenty two or maybe twenty maybe Chelik just turned twenty three, twenty four. But again, you know, mm. point being made, they're still relatively young and experienced players for defenders. And I think that his his maturity and his 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 you know sort of his attitude and willingness to to 
you know, walk the walk and talk the talk has been really impressive. Um, it has indeed. It has indeed. And, you know, what, what a player he's been uh, in Liga. And I think a lot of people um, perhaps were questioning kind of his ability at the top level after a pretty unsuccessful spell at West Ham after, you know, doing so well for Southampton in the Premier League. So he, I don't think we can stress enough just how much of an asset he's been uh, in Ligue 1 in terms of a model professional, uh, uh, the model professional, if you like, and, and in terms of performance levels week in, week out. But anyway, Kale, I, I come to you on this one because Eric kind of alluded to it there. But Lille now three points clear at the top of the table. I think I know the answer to this question, but... Given PSG struggles, given what we said about Lyon and, and Monaco, are Lille clear title favourites now, would you say? Oh, man. I might stop short of saying clear. I think <laughs> they are the title favourites right now, yes. I think they've done... I mean, like to be fair to Lille, what else do we really want them to do? You know, They've lost only two matches this season. They're consistent week in, week out. They're getting production from... You know, it seems like almost everyone in their squad is producing for them when they're called upon. You know, they have, I think, one of, if not the best manager in the league at the moment. So I think they're title contenders. But like I said before, I think they're going to have a hiccup. They will lose a match at some point this season. And then, you know, it'll all be back up in the air. I think it's a great year for that kind of stuff. So I don't know if you push me, sure. But I don't want to make any real grand definitive statements just yet you don't want to jinx it i understand it's okay um <laughs> um let, let's just uh, quickly move on to lorient um so they are now or remain i guess level on points with 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 nantes um nice and strasbourg are six points ahead of them eric would you say it's um between um lorient and nantes for that for that 17th spot in the league because Six points, you know, six points is not insurmountable by any stretch of the imagination. But you think that the 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 likes of Nice and Strasbourg have enough quality to kind of stay above stay above water, if you like. What do you um, think? Phew, I, I do not think Nice have enough quality to stay above water. <laughs> um, uh, mm, I mean, do I? Yeah, I think that regrettably, I, I do think Dijon are down, but I, I think it's. I, yeah, I, I, I don't I have a hard time saying that Nice can pull clear. I know that they had, um, you know, I, I know they've got the, you know, far more talent on paper um, than uh, than do than do Nantes or Lorient. Um, but I, I just, you know, it's it's speaking about this idea of an identity. I mentioned this on the show before is that mm-hmm. and Saint-Étienne have maybe eaten my words. Uh, because I felt like they lacked an identity under Claude Puel, but they've improved um, massively with the arrivals of Cisse and, and Modeste in the winter, in the winter window. Um, but I, I do think that, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily know what Nice's identity is, and that's what gives me pause. And I do think that Nantes have looked sharper under Camboare. We know that Lorient uh, under Pellissier, you know, have have looked better and better um, playing this this five four one in recent weeks. Um, you know, we, we've Pelletier has batted over the odds before with with Amiens in the past, um, and I, I think that Nîmes, um, on, with Planck in charge, have looked far more uh, vibrant and plucky. Um, and I think that, yeah, I, th- I think that it's it's going to be two from those bottom four. I would say that I think Strasbourg are safe. I think that, you know, yeah, they're not, you know, they're not exact. They're on the same points as Nice, but I think that, 
um, for me, um, you know, I mean, their result this weekend is gold of straw with Angers. There's no shame in that. Um, I, I think that they've got um, they've got more about them than do than do Nice. And 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 Thierry Laure is, is a manager who, you know, much like Pelissier, it, and Lorient uh, has a clear approach of what he wants to do, and that that shows. Yeah, it does. It does. I I, I personally think that that of those teams, unless. Um, you know, the new manager bounce really does kick in under Combuare. I just feel like his more recent spells in management haven't gone particularly well, even if he does have <laughs> perhaps a more talented squad at his disposal now. So I'm I'm backing Lorient, particularly with uh, given one of their prize assets, who we will be talking about um, a bit later on in the show. Um, let's, let's quickly discuss um, Lille's upcoming match against Ajax in the Europa League then. Um, I think we all thought Lille might do a number on Ajax um, at the Stade Pierre Moha, but unfortunately it was not to be, uh, as despite leading late on into the match, uh, Ajax scored two goals uh, late on to uh, end that one 2-1. Um, Kale, were, were Lille unlucky, or did you feel uh, Ajax were good value for the win? Uh, I don't know if they were unlucky. I thought the match was pretty finely balanced, to be honest. I thought Lille, for the most part, to me, I thought did what they wanted to do, you know, kept Ajax playing along the wings. They didn't progress very much centrally, which is for me kind of the concern when you play Ajax, they have so many runners off the ball moving in so many different channels that often they can get a lot of good balls into the half spaces or over the top into the box. And I thought Lille prevented that pretty well. You know, I, I kind of expected that they would always have less of the ball than Ajax. So I wasn't so surprised to see that. Uh, I thought the penalty call was a terrible call. I could not believe that he went back, yeah. looked at it and called it again. That to me was just kind of ridiculous. And it seemed to throw Leal off pretty considerably. So, you know, if it wasn't for that call, I think this match probably would have finished one, one. And you're looking at Leal going back to Ajax with the potential of an away goal. So, you know, now it's obviously a different situation, but I, I think they should still feel pretty good about the next round you know they have to obviously get two goals but uh they showed that they're capable of it i thought that their press was really effective against ajax one thing that you see uh more rarely in the eredivisie although it's coming in with a couple of the managers uh is really high pressing so eredivisie teams generally i don't want to make too much of a generalization but they do have a little bit more trouble with high pressure um, because they don't see it as much. And I thought when Lille brought that high pressure, it was really effective. So I'm interested to see if uh, Galce does that a little bit more uh, in the next round, you know, searching out two goals. You know, it, it's a tough loss for Lille. I think they've still got a shot in the tie. But, you know, if they go out of the Europa League, I think they'll be okay. You know, they're first in Liga, and, and that might be the ultimate prize. Yeah, it might be um, it might be a blessing in disguise, I suppose. But but Eric, what are your thoughts on on the next leg? Do you do you think Lille have enough in their locker to overturn this result? I mean, you know, the Johan Cruyff Arena will be a particularly difficult place to go, um, especially when you're in need of two goals, as as Kale said there. But you know, this is a side we have seen win three 0 at San Siro this season. Do you think they can do it? Mm, in a word, no. Uh, I <laughs> I think that um, they're they're in need of goals, and I think that. Yazici has looked a little bit off the boil of late. Um, they're still lacking Barak Yilmaz. So he is a doubt for Thursday, is my understanding. Um, and I think I think that lacking 
um, Yuzichi on form and, and Yilmaz fit, being fit again. Uh, I just don't know. Pardon me, if they have the goals about them to get the result. Well, yeah, I think it is going to be tough for them. In fact, personally, uh, not to be um, a Debbie Downer on this one, but can't uh, can't see it happening. But I, you know, I think that, as I say, that could be a blessing in disguise and and just what this side need, which we've talk, said on the show before. In fairness, but you know, we said it would get tougher perhaps once the European fixtures started to come back round, and of course they're still in the Coupe de France, so you know, maybe it's what they need to go on and and take this title challenge by the scruff of the neck. Um, now's the point in the show when we come to any uh, talking points that we may have missed um, we can bring up anything that we might um, want to discuss um, or bring to the table um, so Kale, I'll come to you first on this one um, anything in particular that's caught your eye I just got to bring up my guys Lance again and Frank Heiss who you know I've, we touched on them a little bit but they just keep doing the business in Liga, I really, really, really like this team. I really like their manager. They're in fifth place right now, which is just incredible. I can't believe that we're this far into the season and the promoted side is hanging around fifth place. You know, Heiss deserves a lot of credit. I think he's one of the better managers in the league this season. And yeah, just kudos and credit to Lance, who've been, you know, value for money. Yeah, this is, I mean, I mean, I struggle to think of a newly promoted side in recent times that have impressed in any of Europe's top five leagues quite on 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 this level. I don't know if you can think of anyone, Kale. I, I guess a lot of people would, were praising Sheffield United in the Premier League last season, which is, you know, things have clearly gone a bit wrong for them this season. But I mean, fifth with a coach who, you know, wasn't the coach who got them promoted in a way. OK, fine. He was. He, he was in charge for the end of last season. But for the vast majority of the last campaign, Franquez was not the senior manager. And, um, uh, you know, he's, he's not managed in the top flight before, but is doing remarkably, remarkably well. I mean, yeah, as I say, can you can you think of any success story like this for a newly promoted side in, in recent memory? I'm sure there's one that I'm missing. I'm not very good at this stuff. But, uh, you know, yeah. what really is so impressive about them is they just, they have such a distinct style and they do such a good job. You know, they, they play their style of football. It comes back again to that sort of identity thing. They have a clear identity. They know exactly what they want to do and they're so difficult to beat. They execute it so well. You know, it, it really is a testament to good management. Yeah. Brilliant from Lance uh, yet again. Um, Eric, what about you? Anything caught your eye this weekend? Yeah, I just, I, I kind of wonder if the magic has worn off for Julien Stefan at Rennes. Um, you know, this is a team who I've, I've mentioned uh, both on this program and on the preview show is I thought Rennes are clearly the fifth best team in France. They're not at that level of that top four that are chasing the Champions League in the title, but they also, to me, seem, seem like they ought to be head and shoulders above everybody else, but I think they're now winless in six. Uh, in all competitions, having been knocked out of the cup by Angers, um, despite having fielded a first-choice side in that match. Um, and they lost again to, pardon me, a Montpellier side who you know, haven't really been up to much in recent weeks um, and who were missing Andy Delors. Uh, you know, double from, a fine double from Sefi Mavididi was good for La Payade. But I think that, uh, yeah, it's kind of hard for me to see see what the next move for for Ren is here it's because i mean this is a this is a side that has been it's had investment placed in it um you know bringing in Girassi, bringing in martin terrier 
you know, Faitu Moasa was a couple seasons ago now, but um, there's been uh, bringing in Gomis to replace uh, Eduard Mendy. Uh, this is a team who had faith placed in them, who, you know, who have a, you know, one of France's most exciting young players in Eduardo Camavinga. Um, but you kind of have to wonder if, if a player like, like Camavinga, for example, uh, you know, Jeremy Doku was a huge investment as well. Um, you kind of have to wonder at this point, you know, if Ren can't turn things around uh, and at least stay in those European positions. I know they're only, I think they're a level on points with six at this point. Um, if, if Ren, you know, I think the Champions League is gone. Um, but if, if Ren can't, you know, really step things up in the, in, in the run-in, um, you know, do they start to consider their options? I don't necessarily know that I think of the club as being trigger-happy, but um, given the money they've invested this season, um, Europe ha- has to be an absolute minimum for, for that, for the, with the outlay that they, they had this summer. And that doesn't, you know, dovetail into, into what you, know, you said there, Kale, about how well Lance have played, how well Mess have played under Frederick Antonetti despite their absences. Mm-hmm. Um, are, can we can we say that Ren are favorites for that for a European spot? You know, especially if if um, a team that's not otherwise qualified for Europe does end up winning the Coupe de France. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, I think it, this club is headed for a bit of a reckoning given how much they spent this summer and what they should have expected. Yeah, yeah and they're not even playing well. Sorry, like yeah, it's exactly. not like they're playing well. They're playing well, but they're just not getting results. They're just not even playing well. And I would argue like they haven't looked very good all season so this is well, like, they had a decent new, run you know? after after being knocked out of the champions league they won they won four straight they looked decent i saw them in a couple of those matches um but but yeah since the turn of the year really it's been they've been pretty awful and i i, I think that i mean you know they've got nice at home on friday i know home and away doesn't mean quite as much in in this this season with with the health crisis and the lack of fans but yeah, I mean, if you if you can't win that, I mean, gosh, I mean, that's you know, that that could be real trouble because, you know, that gives that gives Montpellier the chance to to catch you up, um, you know, uh, and they've got a game in hand, okay, against against Marseille, one of their direct rivals for for that uh, European spot. Um, this is true, you know, should Ren win that match in hand, they would be in fifth place. Um, but again, yeah, like you said, not playing well, and it's it's a uh, it's a uh, it's yeah worrying times at at uh, at Roseland Park. Yeah, I think performance performance wise and results wise, it's been a worse season than than most would have predicted for Ren, particularly kind of how they started the campaign in those first few matches and where they were last season. I know they kind of we've talked at length um, on the show about how kind of they if had the season carried on last year, perhaps they would not have been in the uh, running for the Champions League based on form. But, um, you know, it has been a real a real drop-off. So I think um, as much as I, I am a fan of Julian Stefan, I do think I completely agree with you guys. I think, um, and, and as Kale said last, last week as well, I think questions perhaps need to start being, uh, being asked. Um, I'd like to um, bring something from Brittany as well uh, to the attention of everyone, which is just, you know, I've... In football, you know, there's a lot of romance, of course, but there's nothing quite like someone in their early to mid-30s playing their first ever season in the top flight and grabbing their first goal. So I just want to give a quick shout-out to Lorient man Jérôme Ergo, who um, scored against Lille 
ultimately a goal that didn't mean anything, of course. But, you know, to play your first professional season in the top flight at the age of 34, I can't think of many players who, who that's been the case for. So, um, so yeah, just um, a big shout out to, uh, to him. Um, anyway, we end the show talking about another Lorient man. Um, yes, we're back with our spotlight section where we talk about one of the young players making a name for themselves in the League of Talents, uh, as Ligue 1 is dubbed. Uh, and this week, we'll be taking a look at Lorient striker Terem Moffi. Uh, the 21-year-old Nigerian has been uh, tearing it up in Ligue 1, really, for Les Merlus in 2021, scoring uh, eight goals in 10 games uh, in all competitions. Um, and we have, of course, the expertise of Eric Devin here to capture a sense of who Moffi is as a player. Um, Eric, perhaps you can start by giving us a bit of background on, on Terem Moffi. Yeah, so uh, he's Nigerian um, and uh, had uh, started his professional career in Lithuania, of all places. He'd, uh, admittedly, you know, he, he had he had a hard time adjusting to life there after, you know, growing up in Nigeria, but uh, did very well. Uh, and then uh, moved to Court Reich in, in Belgium, where, you know, the Belgian league, you know, as any observer of, of uh, professional football will know, is quite the incubator of talent. Um, and he did very well there again. And he was a 11th hour signing for Lille and it, it or for Laurent, sorry, uh, from Court Reich and seemed a bit of a surprising uh, pickup. I mean, they had already broken their transfer record on Adrian Gerbich in the summer. Um, they also had Pierre Isamel, who had been a decent striker. I think he had scored 10, 10 or 11 goals last season in Ligue 2 uh, in a shortened season, so a you know, decent return. Um, so it seemed a bit of a strange pickup. Uh, decision uh he didn't really start in this in the season's early early going he was kind of a peripheral figure but uh especially in the new calendar year uh Lorient have moved to to play this 5-4-1 um uh, with Moffi as the lone striker uh, and they they previously played a you know a 4-3-3 or a 4-4-2 um but uh this new system has has gotten the best out of the team both in terms of their organization and their their defensive solidity that the result against Lille notwithstanding, of course, um, but also of Muffy. I mean, him having that free role um, allows him to get about the pitch. Well, he's, he's fast, he's powerful. Um, uh, you know, he's, he's a clever finisher. And I, I think that, um, you know, there's more to come from him. So uh, looking at that, it, it's a promising start. And I think that, you know, he, I don't necessarily know that I have a ready comparison for him in terms of his, his playing style. Um, but, I do think that um, he's really profited from uh, the organizational nous that you know Pelletier has has had has had in the past. I mean, he's uh, you know looking back at Musa Kanate. Yeah, Musa Kanate, you know, is another striker who was sort of unheralded um, and really thrived as a as a lone center forward under Pelletier. And you know, he's someone who again has sort of you know isn't exactly a big unit, but isn't exactly a, a fox in the box sort of has a level of versatility about them and that playing that lone role uh, fits them well uh, and they could pop up in different situations and still be effective. Um, so yeah, um, un uncapped as yet for Nigeria, uh, but I think that that's you know, likely going to change come the, come the next round of internationals. And uh, yeah, he's done, he's done really well. And it's, it's always good to see, um, you know, just who, you know, who the next young player to come in Um to come in is I, I think that France have done very well with, um, you know, developing de as, as being, you know, I hate to use the phrase a stepping stone, but 
as being a link in development, um, you know, from from other leagues around Europe, and and to see you know players have their, their reputations burnished and and you know go on to go on to bigger things. I mean, we could look at say Fabinho, Bernardo Silva, um, as having had you know a modicum of success um, in Spain and Portugal, and then coming to to France and, and flourishing, and going on to doing to do you know even better things. Um, so I think that he's someone who you know. You know, there's a lot more to come. He's really only been a professional player for about a year and a half, so uh, I think we have to we really have to see, um, you know, just exactly what you know what he could achieve um, if he does, and I think he will move on to a bigger a bigger club this summer. Yeah, it would certainly be an interesting journey to follow. I mean, it's there's a few interesting things about Moffy's season. Um, I mean, not just as you say, kind of. Lorient's acquisition of him from the Belgian league, you know, clearly, as you say, that is perhaps a a good kind of proving ground, I guess, for young strikers. I mean, I'm thinking of his compatriot Victor Osimhen, who, of course, was there before moving to uh, to Lille with um, with Charleroi, I believe. Um, and also, what's interesting as well is that you mentioned, you know, uh, Lorient splashing out that record fee for Adrian Gerbic, who really kind of since the very start of the season has not been the man and. I guess what I'm kind of leading to ask is we've spoken about, okay, in this race for survival, a team's identity could be a very important factor in that. Um, But I don't know about you, but compared to the teams directly around them, so the likes of of Nantes, Dijon and Nîmes, what what Moffi brings is, um, what what Moffi offers Lyon, Lyon, Lorient, excuse me, is is a striker, who is able to kind of come up with the goals, which those teams uh, perhaps don't have. Um, would you agree that that gives Lorient uh, a significant edge in this race? Yeah, I mean, we've seen this in the past with um, with other teams avoiding relegation due, due to the strength of well. I mean, like like I said, like I mentioned, Kanate there for Amiens. I mean, he, his play was integral in, um, in allowing Amiens to stay up, certainly over the odds. Um, and I think that, you know, if you've got a player who can, you know, get you a dozen goals or, you know, that, that, that can make all the difference in the world. I mean, um, or even if it's not goals, but to be a bit of a, a focal point tactically around which to operate, I think that that, that can make all the difference. And, um, yeah, I, I do think that, I mean, it's hard to say this about a team that just lost four one, but I do think that Lorient are the, are the best positioned team out of that side, given, um, given the fact that they have, by and large, really impressed since the turn of the calendar year. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Uh, so eight goals in 10 games in all competitions in 2021 for Tara Moffi. We look forward to seeing how he progresses as a player and how his role in this Lorient season progresses. That's everything from us this evening. Um, many thanks for your time, guys. As always, please make sure you're following us at GFFN on Twitter for all the latest news from the world of French football. And please check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. I'm Jake Smales, and I've been joined by Eric Devin and Kale Stockwell. Stay safe, enjoy the football, and have a great week.